Are you ready to reach the mountaintop of your life? Do you want to turn your dreams into your reality? If that sounds like you, then welcome to the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast. All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast. I'm so excited that you are back and here with us today, or maybe this is your first time ever with us. Either way, welcome to the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast. This is your host, Jake Ballantyne, and I am thrilled that you are here. We have a fantastic interview for you today. We're talking with the one and only Julie May. This is an interview that was done as a part of a series that I'm going to be releasing here on this podcast called the First 100K Series. What we're doing is we're talking with successful entrepreneurs about their first $100,000 year in business. In today's episode, we're talking with Julie May, who is an incredible speaker, an incredible coach, an incredible business person, and just an all-around incredible human being. You're going to love this episode. What I love most about this episode, her talking about that first $100,000 year in business, is first of all, she talks about the struggle. She talks about the struggle of a very short time before this, a very short period before that first $100,000 year, she literally went bankrupt. A lot of times people say, well, I was close to bankruptcy. She literally went bankrupt, lost her house, had to move in with her in-laws in their basement to be able to rebuild things and, and put things back together. And she was able to do this and reach that first $100,000 year in business from putting on live events in her town of less than 10,000 people. Now, there's so many people out there who I hear say, I I can't succeed because I'm in too small of a town. Well, Julie May had that success, not in spite of being in that small town, but she learned how to actually have more success because she was in that small town. Really fascinating interview. I'm excited for you to listen to this today. Whatever line of business you're in, you're going to love this interview because the principles that she talks about are applicable across the board. Now, as I said earlier, this interview is a part of a whole series of interviews that I've been doing over the last six months, the first 100K series. I'm so excited for you to hear this. I'm gonna be sharing it here on this podcast. But also, I'm compiling this all into a book. It's called My First 100K. I'm really excited for that to come out. That's coming out in the hopefully near future. But the truth is, I couldn't wait to share this with you. I couldn't wait to share the interviews with you, but I also couldn't wait to share what I've learned from these interviews. I've learned so much from talking to over 20 successful entrepreneurs about their first $100,000 year. And because I cannot wait to share it with you, I decided to put it together into a training and into a checklist called the First 100K Checklist. You can get this absolutely for free. I took the patterns that I learned from all of these interviews and put them together into this checklist that you can can use in your business and in your life. And also I put together a training where I go through the checklist and share my insights that I learned from doing this interview series. So if you want the first 100K checklist, head over to 100kchecklist.com to get this checklist and the training absolutely free. That's the number 100, 100, the letter K, and then checklist.com. Let's jump into the interview right now with the one and only Julie May. I'm here with Julie May today, and we're talking about her first $100,000 year in business. Uh, as we get started, love to have Julie introduce herself. So Julie, tell us about yourself. 
Hey everyone, I'm so excited to be here talking to Jake and just having a good time. So my, my background, basically you can see on the thing here, I'm in speaking, we, I got actually started in event production before I did anything with speaking, which is kind of like backwards. But you know, back in the day, I had this idea to put on this women's conference. And I had not done a lot of speaking or anything in this world before then, but I had like this nagging big thing that you need to put on this women's conference. It's going to help people. And so I did. And it was like massively successful from what I thought it was going to be to what it was. So I think that's my measure of success. We had like 300 women come to our first event, which everyone, I didn't know, I knew nothing. Everyone told me like afterward, they're like, I thought you would have like 20 people there because 300 people don't just show up to your first event. That's not how this goes. Yeah. So I didn't know. So, you know, I get up when we have this big event and I was hooked from then on. I just wanted to help people as much as possible. And, and the idea, the idea at that moment was if I can help the mother of the home have some tools, you know, figure out how to deal with struggling kids and how to be themselves and how to like take all the pressures that we have and be okay. And not just be okay, but like thrive. If I could do that, then the entire family benefits. Like the kids are more stable. The husband's more happy, like everything kind of, and I'm not saying everything revolves around the, the wife, but you know, I think that having that stability in the home really does uplift the entire family. And if we can do that, then we uplift communities, right? Yeah. So that was kind of the idea I got started with. It was called Joyful Living Women's Conference. Um, and I held my last one in 2018, which was also the year I hit my first $100,000. Mm, so cool. we'll probably talk a little bit about what that looked like. But after that, I really started getting into coaching more and speaking on other people's stages. And, and I just felt like this huge shift. It was so funny because I got done with that event. We have like 500 people in the audience. It's massively successful. I loved it. And like the day after I had like this big, that's the last one I'm going to do. And it was like, in this perfectly calm. Everything was good. I think something's shifting like that part of my journey's over now. And so, you know, it was after that, that we started speaking seriously and have focused on helping other people get their messages out on a greater level. So mm. that's, that's basically me and who I am, what I do. And I'm a giant Disney lover and mom of seven kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, for, you know, everyone watching this, um, we were supposed to start this interview uh, 41 minutes ago, but we just got off talking on uh, Disney stuff and, and all sorts of other stuff. So it was lots of fun. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited about this because what, what this series is about is about people starting out. This is about people starting out, and I find that their stories are so fascinating. Oftentimes in interviews, what we end up hearing is whatever someone is most excited about right now, and yeah. that's great. Like, and, and I want to get into speaking seriously, and we'll talk about that so people can find out about you, but as I'm talking to the, all these entrepreneurs about their first $100,000 year, and we'll get into that now, we're going to go behind it, um, I want to show people about the beginning. I want to show people about the beginning because sometimes people compare their first step to someone's 12th step, someone's 23rd step. And it's so easy to compare. But what you just said there, you put on your first conference and had 300 people at it. 
There are many ears that are perking up right now saying, okay, how did you do that? So I, I'd love to hear why now, now looking back, why was that event so successful? First event that you ever put on, why was it so successful? Let's hear what that was like and what, what you think worked well. A couple of things. Um, We were in a small town. So um, I did most of my business from the small town of Vernal, Utah, which is like population, maybe 9,000, depending upon. That's like way east, right? That's like on the other side of the mountains, isn't it? It is the like super east Utah. So you drive like 15 minutes past Vernal and you're in Colorado. Okay. So, but it's like, if you land in Salt Lake, you're you're driving, yeah, pretty far. Three hours. So it's about three and a half actually from the airport to Vernal. So I (laughs) was hired to speak at Vernal high school and middle school. Oh, cool. Is that where you went to high school, middle school a long time ago? I actually grew up in Salt Lake. So I my husband's from there. So So like six years ago, something like that. I was hired to speak there. Yeah. I probably had kids going there at that time. Probably. There you go. With seven kids, it's likely I had a kid going there at that time. <laughs> so anyway, so one of the things with a small town is advertising to get people to an event is a whole different gig. Yeah. So like if I wanted to have a big event in Salt Lake City or, you know, I live kind of in the suburbs of Salt Lake City right now. To get the same amount of advertising as I was able to get in Vernal for like 500 bucks, I'd have to like rent a billboard and have, you know, sponsored ads on the radio and be on TV and and do all of these things, which would have been enormously expensive, but you can do similar things in Vernal because it's this little town for basically nothing. So the radio sponsored us. We were able to get ads going all throughout the day. Like for, I, I think it was $500 for two months of every day, all day long advertising on the oh most goodness. popular station, which is ridiculous. Wow. And Yeah. And one of the things is too, out there, there's basically two stations. So it's not like the big city where there's a hundred stations. So no one's going to listen to it. There's a country station and there's a top 20 station. Okay. That's what there is. That's what there is. And I'm going to pause for a second. I'm so excited about this because one of the limiting beliefs that I often hear from people is, well, I'm not in a big enough town. Oh, (laughs) I'm not in a big enough town. And yeah. out of 9,000 people getting 300 people to attend, that that's amazing. And so I just wanted to push pause and point out that maybe someone listening to this right now might have that limiting belief and you were able to just crush through that. So keep to going. my mind, it's a huge advantage. And we have taught people the system for how to take a small town and do a massively huge event. Like we have systems for doing it now. The first time I was just like figuring it out. Um, And then another thing we have done in those events is I call it borrowing celebrity. So we would have somebody come in that was more well-known than I am. So um, our first event, we had Carol Tuttle come in and she's not like a huge name or anything. Didn't cost us like thousands of dollars, but in Utah, she was super well-known. She does kind of this dressing your truth system that was really popular at the time and I know all about it because my wife is all into it, actually. I'm a type three personality. And, uh, you know, oftentimes uh, whenever I go shopping with my wife, she'll bring a card and and all that. So, yeah, I'm quite familiar with the things. Okay, so 
we had her come out and, you know, in again, I swear to you, if you are listening and you are in a small town, you have just a huge advantage that you're not even thinking of. Because in these smaller towns, they don't have a thousand things happening every weekend. They don't have big name people coming out. They don't have a concert or something every weekend or 10 times in a weekend. Nothing's happening out there. Nobody's bringing, at least where we lived, it, you know, it's three hours from the next big town. So, you know, it's not like it's a suburb of something bigger. It's like, here's your 9,000 people. Okay, drive three hours into no man's land and then you get to the city. So they, there just was nothing else going on and nobody doing this kind of uplifting events. I was driving out to Salt Lake kind of attending events like this. And I was like, why, why not bring something like this out to where we live? So borrowing celebrity, we did that the whole time. So, you know, we had, we had her our first time. We've had Elizabeth Smart. Alex Boyer's done a couple of concerts for me. Um, I don't know if you know Kirk Cameron, but he was like a big deal when I was growing up because he was like on growing pains and kind of a teen heartthrob guy. And now he does a lot of Christian family movies and things like that. And I had him out and- He did uh, Saints and Soldiers, didn't he? He did that movie? Um, No, he did the Left Behind series and a few other things like that. But anyway- uh, for people my age, because I'm like way older than you, he was he's very popular among people my age because we grew up seeing him on TV every week. So he was on like the number one sitcom and he was like the big teen heartthrob of our day. And then instead of going into drugs and being a mess like everyone else, he grew up and like, you know, converted to Christianity and did a lot of like actually amazing things. So anyway, Um, that was one of the things we strategically did because as I was starting, nobody knew who I was, nobody knew why they should trust me or, you know, what was going to happen. So we would have somebody like Elizabeth smart, for instance, get up and they would, she would do her thing. And then I would speak directly after her Mm -hmm. and kind of gain some credibility because AI put on an event with people who they knew and, you know, had some success with that. And then, you know, the goal was then perhaps I could take that and change people's lives from the stage. Maybe then they would listen to me. Maybe we would have enough people in the room to make a difference. And it really did make a difference. I'm sure. I'm trying to come from the perspective of someone brand new and the questions that they would ask. Yeah. So the questions that they would ask, so you're talking about people specifically who are, uh, celebrities within a local area, you know, celebrities yes. within a local, local area. celebrities is the way to go because you uh-huh. can, it's easier to afford them. If I'm totally upfront and honest, yeah. if you're looking for like a big national celebrity and you're brand new, it's going to be really tough to, you know, fork over a hundred thousand dollars for them to come in. If it's a local celebrity, if it's somebody well known to your local area, it's not going to cost that much. And yeah. everyone's going to think it's just as cool. Yeah. So that was my question was, how did you go about getting them? How did you approach them uh, when you were new? Like, I know how to figure that out. Like, I know how to do that. But someone who's saying it's my first event, how do I come to them with that kind of confidence? And and what, what did you do? 
I look back and I'm like, the fact that everyone trusted me to do this event when I had literally no experience is like astounding. <laughs> but I, I had like this naive confidence that it was in my brain, in my brain, it was going to be a fabulous event. And so I think it does start there. I think it does start with you just having full confidence in what you're putting together. And then the how to contact kind of depends on who it is and what methods are available up there for them. Uh, Carol Tuttle actually has her own website and it has like a contact me page. I swear to you, I just filled out the contact me, contact us thing and was like, here's what we're doing. You know, I would love to have her come. Let me know what that would cost or what that would look like. And here's the dates, please contact me. And they did. Um, as we got into kind of a little bit bigger, more well-known people, then um, we used a speakers bureau uh, speaking agency. There's a few of them out there and you can just seriously do a Google search and be like, okay, speaking agencies that maybe represent this person, whoever you have in mind that you would like to have come talk to you and yeah. they'll, they'll give you some information about what well, that could look like. And with that, what, the, what you called naive confidence, I think the, the fear that people have is like, well, I can pay the people if I sell the tickets, but yeah. I haven't sold the tickets yet. And so how did you handle that in your head? Like, how did you handle that in your head? Like, okay, I'm going to bring in the celebrity. It, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen Bill and Ted? Oh, of course. Yeah. You know how they say like, well, if uh, uh, to be a good band, we need, we need Van Halen, but to get Van Halen, we need to be a good band. This is in the yes. second one. Do you remember them talking about yes. that, that content? Yeah. Be a good band. We need Van Halen. We need Eddie Van Halen. But but to get Eddie Van Halen, we need a good pan, band. And so you're in this situation where you say, well, to be able to pay these speakers, I need to sell the tickets. But I need to sell the tickets in order to pay the speakers. And so there's this kind of cyclical thing with it. When you're just starting out brand new without a track record, how were you able to uh, handle that mentally and emotionally? Also, how were you able to handle that in terms of talking to these people, knowing that, well, yes, I can pay you if all these things work out exactly how I plan them to work out. Okay. So uh, something you must know about when I started, uh, here's things you need to know is the, the, Growing into this situation, here's where we were. Um, my daughter, who was 16 at the time and has bipolar, got put on the wrong medication and she was suicidal for a year. And I left my job as a school teacher to be with her for a year. Mm. Two months later, my husband got laid off. Um, throughout the course of that year, we went bankrupt, we lost our house, we got separated. And that's the land in which I started this business. So I did not start in the land of, you know, we're doing okay. Had I started two years earlier, I'd be like, hey, we make it comfortable six figures anyway. It's not going to be the worst the end of the universe. Nothing's going to go that bad if we lose, you know, three or $4,000, whatever. Um, that's not the land I started in. We started in the land of I'm bankrupt. I'm, I was living in my in-laws basement, which was not pleasant. And there was like all of us crammed into two bedrooms and one bath. Mm. And, you know, a husband who just said, well, if you believe in it, go ahead and do it, which grateful for that. I don't know that everyone has that, but he's always supported me and just said, yeah, you know, we'll mm. figure it out. Wow. Um, and in that land, we got a tax refund that happened to be the exact amount I needed to pay Carol Tuttle. Mm. <laughs> and I paid that. But 
also, we actually did this, and this is a little bit different than um, some way people look at speakers. Uh, we allowed two people per day to sell from our stage. Mm -hmm. And those people who were kind of the speak to sell model paid us a sponsorship for their time and their spot mm -hmm. and for advertising. And we used the pay to speak people to pay the person who we were paying to speak. Yeah, and so makes, we did that every single time. And so instead of saying, I need to get the money from the ticket sales, I would estimate how many people I thought would be there, figure out what that would be for a person who was going to speak to sell from stage and then try and make those numbers match up and make it a win-win for everyone there. So that everything that came in from ticket sales was just a bonus and I got to keep. Mm. That is great. That is great. Now, from both of us being experienced in this market, that's a wonderful business model. Where did that come from when you had never done this before? I hired somebody. Again, like I have no money, but um, I had been to an event in Utah several times that got really good attendance, had kind of a similar layout to what I wanted to do. And I contacted her and said, Hey, can you teach me how to do it? And she mentored me and coached me throughout that first time. And had I not, I don't, I wouldn't have known to do those things. I wouldn't have known any of that. That's awesome. But you know, hiring the right person to help you with the right thing at the right time is always going to work out well. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I love that idea of the right person at the right time for the right purpose because that has led to the rest of my career being able to know how to do this and do it on a bigger scale and teach other people how to do it and you know really quite add to the success of what we're able to do and the hearts we're able to reach because that's that's why we do what we do right we're not there just because of the money or whatever although i like that and i'm glad that i can support my family doing that it's fantastic but, you know, this bigger idea of the more people in the seats, the more hearts we're able to reach, the more lives we can change, the more people get out and make a real difference in this world. And I feel even more strongly about that now, having gone through 2020, and I feel the despair of people around me. I feel like the anger and the hurt. And I'm like, we've got to get out there and be powerful messengers for good. People need it so much right now. So... They do. They need it. They need it. Like people need it so much. It's so important. Um, I think that that's so powerful. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, so let's fast forward then. Let's talk about your first $100,000 a year in business, the first year that you personally were able to make that. So what, what was that year? Tell us about that. What were you doing? That was the year I added coaching in on top of events. So really in the past, like I had just done, this is the big event and that's what we're doing. And then I would work part-time at the schools and um, that would be, you know, really my money. <laughs> and then I would just have this event once or twice a year, depending upon the year and kind of go about my day. But then I got more into really helping. First, I started with coaching people on events because people would just come to me and be like, okay, so everything you're doing there, can you teach me how to do that? Mm. And so as I got started being able to help people 
create their own really successful events. Um, our, our niche has been and always will be teach you how to do it in a small town in a place that's not a huge giant city. Mm. I think there's huge advantages to doing it. We have a really good system. Anyway, so that was what we started in. And it was that coaching portion that we added in that really helped us get up over, over the top of being able to make a hundred thousand and quit my job. So I, when I went back to work, I went back into teaching music at elementary school Mm. and which is more of a, it's not like full-time it's like 30 hours a week or Mm. something. Um, And that got to be a point where it took too much of my time. So I went from that to being um, a personal behavior therapist for kids with autism. I have a son with autism as well. Mm. And so then I could kind of do that a little bit. And then that was my last job that tra- I transitioned out of um, to be entrepreneur full time. So mm-hmm. before then, it just, you know, uh, an event once or twice a year just doesn't sustain a whole living and a whole everything. So um, and I'm I'm like the financial support of the family at this point when my husband lost his job, how many ever many years ago? you know, that's kind of been his thing a little bit. He's never really come back from that. Mm -hmm. And so I've been like the financial support of the family. And so, you know, when you have seven kids and whatever, it it takes a little bit to, to get to that point. And so I did wait until we were at that point to quit all the jobs completely. Uh, I think I was in scarcity too. We talked a little bit about this before the interview about how people think they have to reach this point. And in my mind, I wanted to reach like more than double what I was making before, because if I had a bad month or something like that, then the world wasn't going to crash down. You know what I mean? Because sometimes entrepreneurship income can be like, and I hadn't been doing it long enough that I had the consistency and the faith that I could just create something new. I think that's my, my opinion right now, especially after last year is like, I'm an entrepreneur. I have creative ideas, you know, the next big income or next paycheck is just an idea away. So, yeah, you know, I don't think I had that mindset back then. Yeah, totally. But this is just a, a side note. I think that there's so much judgment within the entrepreneurial personal development world where people will put so much judgment on, someone starting out that like, well, you're not all in if you don't just, you know, jump out of the plane, then build the oh, parachute yes. all the way down, which in practicality, if we're taking that literal, that's a very bad idea. You know, don't, yeah. don't jump out of a plane without a parachute. That's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> but what I mean is there's so much judgment where people will say like, oh, if you don't quit your job, you're not all in when maybe that sense of security for that person will actually help them not be in scarcity mode with their with their business and make decisions from a place of wisdom and service instead of a place of I need money now because the worst way to make money is to say I need money right now mm-hmm. and at the same time some people are all in kind of people and and I just don't think that either is right or wrong me personally I have a hard time dividing my attention I have a hard time doing it and so I'm kind of a, I, I, the analogy I use often is I say, are you a jump in the deep end kind of person at the pool? 
or do you creep in the, um, the, the shallow in one step at a time? Yeah. And I actually have a belief that answering that question will tell you a lot about your decision-making and, and your process. But when I first started saying this, I thought that my job was to get them to come over to the deep end. And as I've worked with hundreds of people on a one-on-one level, work with thousands of people within content in the speakers, authors, and coaches network and all that kind of thing, I have come to realize that that is just not true. It's not about getting someone to come over to my side. It's about finding what works best for them. So I just, I just wanted to say that for anyone watching who feels like this judgment of, I, I need to do it a certain way. Now you need to do it the way that works for you. That's what you need to do. You yeah. got to do it the way that works for you. I agree with that too. And I remember when I was getting started, everyone told me that everyone told me you've got to just quit. You've got to just go full in. I heard that so many times when I was trying to get started, especially as a coach. I don't think I got it as just the event producer person, because I don't know, I think that's in a different category in people's minds. Right. So when I did get started coaching and, you know, kept working and things like that, I did hear that all the time. Um, and here's what I have to say about that. There's, there's a point at which you need to listen to the coach that is working with you and be hundred percent full in. And there's a point at which you need to do a lot of praying and soul searching for what's right for you at that moment and figure out which one it is. And is it, is, are you saying no to that because you're self-sabotaging or are you saying no to that because for real, this is going to be the best choice for you at the moment. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. You know, if you're working with a coach or somebody who's pushing you hard to do something, I think we all have had that moment of, okay, am I resisting this because I'm going through resistance and I have bad patterns or am I resisting this because it's not right for me right now? And knowing the difference between those things, I think is going to serve you really well. But it took me a lot of prayer and grounding within who I am and what's going to serve everyone best. And it all worked out, obviously. I mean, we do fine now, (laughs) like a lot of clients now. It it all worked out. um, But I think I had other things pushing me as well. So, you know, I went from living in my in-laws basement. I had, even though I was working, I had a push to like get our own place again. And then a push to do, you know, a, a nice house with a big yard. And, and so there were things that were pushing me besides just, if you don't do this, your family will starve to death next month. You know, I didn't need yeah. that kind of a push, but there were other things that were definitely in the pushing me to really be full in even though I had a job. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What what are the biggest things that you learned in that first hundred K year? Biggest things I learned uh, that (laughs) this is so funny. And every time I teach somebody, it still kind of surprises me is that all of us. So all of us have gifts and ways to see things that other people don't see. I really do believe that. And I have some gifts in being able to really take somebody's presentation skills or events and being able to really understand exactly what they need to do to have it be successful. And it's almost like inspiration. It's like this intuitive knowing 
mm-hmm. that I think each of us has, but it's really funny. And I'm sure God gets frustrated with me sometimes because every time it kind of comes through, I'm still surprised every time it comes through. I'm like, wow, that was genius. That was so good. Oh my gosh, God's great. And like, maybe it is true that everyone has gifts and it's hilarious because I, I don't know why I'm surprised every time it happens, but I think that was the biggest thing I learned back then is that we really were born, each of us with massive gifts that are different from each other that can serve humanity if we decide to get out there and do it. And so I think that's why I'm not big into competition or stuff like that too much, because if I see somebody else doing it, I'm like, yeah, but the way they're going to do it is going to be so different than the way I do it. And it's, you know, our gifts are so different. So it's not me against him. It's like us helping humanity together. And yeah, and that's why God gave us these gifts so that we could get out and like really do something cool and good. So I think every time I get off a coaching call, like this happened just last week and my daughter always laughs at me. I get off a coaching call and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was the best call ever. And it's going to be phenomenal. Like, and I'm always like, and they loved it. And she's like, yes, mom, you're good at this. <laughs> like, yeah, this is what your gifts are. <laughs> like, she's always like, why are you surprised every single oh, time? It's exciting though. I mean, it really is. It's, it's exciting. I, I, I know what you're talking about. When, when I'm in my lane, when I'm in my zone, and I just feel that just juiced up about what I just did. I yeah. just want to tell everyone, like, that was so much fun. Like, that was so exciting. And, and it's interesting. You talk about everyone having unique gifts. In reality, when people stick within their unique gifts, it's so much easier to partner with other people. But mm-hmm. also, um, not only is it easier to partner with people, but there's no need for that that competition kind of thing because just looking at things as this person has this, this person has that. Like, I mean, I'll be having this conversation right now. I am fascinated with the idea of these small town, you know, putting on the event within the small town. Like I'd love to do a, a, you know, we're doing this interview now. I'd love to do another, you know, joint webinar or something like that, talking specifically about that because when I'd also, you know, we'll talk about this later, but it would be interesting to say like, how can we, discuss that in a way that is relevant to not only smaller towns, but how is that relevant to right now with the whole live event situation in our world? But it's such a unique thing. Like you're talking about something that like, well, I could, I could give someone some advice on it. I could give some thoughts on it, but I'm not an expert in it because I don't, I haven't done it. And that's the difference. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And it is one of those things with the small town thing. We actually did it in other small towns throughout Utah to kind of like test if this actually works everywhere. And I'm like, nope, it works everywhere. It It's a thing. And you did the same kind of uh, process, same kind of same exact process. So we process. did it like in Richfield, Utah, which is even smaller than Vernal and, mm-hmm. and tried it in different things like that and coached people on doing it in their small towns. And yeah. It's just a system that works and it, do- it awesome. doesn't work in Salt Lake. Interesting. It's too, it's, it's too big of a pond. Yeah. The big Smith it, it's um, I think about this, like, um, so be- before I was a speaker, I was a full-time musician and I'd play at all these, you know, m- most of my career as a speaker, when it was my job was playing at, uh, playing at clubs, playing at bars, playing at, uh, hotel lounges, those kind of things. I was playing like four or five nights a week, 
But yeah. when I would put on shows, when I would put on shows and sell tickets to those, um, I, I always had this saying of, of uh, small enough um, to be seen, but big enough to matter. Like, exactly. a, a, like, you know, so may, maybe I'm wrong. Cause you're, you're actually changing my paradigm on the, on the big enough to matter. You're changing my yeah. paradigm there, but I would find like, well, I was living in Los Angeles at the time mm. and I, I couldn't, I couldn't sell tickets to stuff because the contacts that I had within Los Angeles and the people that I had that were interested, it's like, I mean, they're coming from this massive area to come in and it's like, well, I like you, Jake, but I don't know if I want to drive all the way across town, uh, all the way across town on, on a Tuesday night in Los Angeles. That, that's a big ask. That's a big ask to get down to Hollywood where a show is when they're living on the other side of town. And so like I started putting on like my ticketed events in smaller areas because it was so much easier. It was so much easier to be seen. Yeah. Do you want to hear something fascinating? I would love to hear something fascinating. Okay. So when we put on events in Vernal, more than half of the audience actually drove out from more than three hours away to come there. Mm. So we had people that flew in from Texas, from Washington state, from all over. They would have to fly into Salt Lake, rent a car and drive three hours to come to Vernal to come to this event. Mm. If I held the same event in Salt Lake, people wouldn't do it. Isn't that interesting? Because we've actually done it. We've done it in Salt Lake. We've done it. We've, we've tested it out. We've done it the exact same ways. There is something about the allure of coming somewhere weird and going on an adventure that people will come to. Mm. It is so, so, so weird. And so like, again, with our speakers, we had to convince speakers because that wasn't a thing in Vernal. Like nobody was like a pay to speak speaker in just Vernal. That wasn't a thing. So we had to convince speakers that they were not only going to pay me a sponsorship fee, but then they were going to fly to Salt Lake, rent a car, drive three hours to the middle of nowhere, and then trust that we were going to have an audience there for them in this little town. And we did. Like it's, some of the biggest speakers, you know, that do this would come out there. Oh, Jill, do you know Laurel Langmire? She flew her jet out, but you know, she has a jet, but like other people, that's what they would have to do. And they would still do it. There is something about this small town allure, like this idea of doing something where nobody else does something that really draws people's attention. So as you're creating events, one of the things is, is like trying to stand out from all the other noise and everything else that's happening. Just having the thing that we're doing this big thing in a small town, they get excited about it. And, you know, 300 people will drive from Salt Lake to Vernal to go to an event that they wouldn't have driven across town for. Hmm. That's crazy. It's crazy, but it's true. Yeah. We've tested it over and over again. When it is the craziest thing. Towns, what, what's your population uh, definition of that? Uh, population that it works well with, I would say from 5,000 people to about 35,000 people. Interesting. And so if you're at a 50,000 person town, you're, you're cracking it. You're at a different you're, level. You're hitting some edges. You're probably not going to have as much success. 
as other places. So I don't know if you know Utah very well, but I would do pretty well in Cedar City. But if it was in St. George, not so much because it's just, it's big. There's interesting. Live there. That is interesting. That That's fascinating, to be honest. that That's a... Brigham City does well. Like all the little tiny, tiny-ish towns that are somewhat drivable. You know, uh-huh. if it's two or three hours away, they'll go. More interested to drive somewhere than to do it right in the middle of town. Isn't that the craziest thing? You would like, think to get people hump, to go from Salt Lake to Draper, which is a 40 minute or half hour drive. They're like, no, nah, I don't know that I can do that. That seems far. That's cross town. Like we had Alex Boyer, who's kind of a popular singer here yeah. in my area. He did a concert in my backyard. Uh, when was it? September, September, or October. Mm-hmm. And literally it was a free concert in my backyard in Draper and we only had maybe 150 people. I had people pay $20 a ticket to see him and Vernal, and we had 400 people. Wow. <laughs> so crazy. Isn't that interesting? And people drove out from Salt Lake to do it in Vernal. Well, I, okay. So like this so concept, I, I do think a lot about you know, standing out in different places, like we were talking about mm-hmm. it, and being different. So all of us, in this world, whether you see yourself as a personal development person, whether you see yourself as a business trainer, whatever it is that you do, whether fitness, whatever, there's the big dogs in, in your industry. Yeah. And what people tend to think is that they are in competition with them. And mm-hmm. so they try to do things in the same way. But in reality, if we're trying to do things in the same way, all you're going to be like, if I say, cool, I want to do an event that's just like Tony Robbins. Well, the yeah. best that I could be is a Tony Robbins ripoff. Exactly. That's the best I could be. The best I could be is an imitation or Tony Robbins light. That is the best I could possibly be. But what you're talking about is being something completely different. You, you, know, you could be different or you could be better. Better is very hard and yeah. better is also subjective. But different, I can be different. I can be different, different pretty easily and different, you know, that is subjective as well, but I I could, I could do it. I could be different. I could do it quite easily. Yeah. So here's a, here's an example of being different when everyone was really, really hot on, you had to have an online funnel to get people to your events and to get your stuff out there. You know, you were, you were supposed to hire these really expensive people and they were going to create your Facebook ads and you were going to have these funnels and, and that was going to solve the universe. Right. So we did the opposite thing and went, decided to go completely old school and sent out postcards in the mail. And we had the best response off that. You would be shocked at how great the response we had on was going completely old school and having, and we hand wrote most of the little note on the back. So the front looked super professional, but then on the back, we gave like a little personal message to people. I had people hire me because of the personal message on the back of their postcard. $12,000, $15,000, because they were like, I can tell you're a person who has attention to detail and you care about individuals and you're not just doing things to do things. And so a lot of times, that's what I always say when people are zigging, we zag. We're doing things completely opposite. Uh, I noticed everyone going to Clubhouse lately, we played there a little bit and we decided to double down on our Facebook plan because a lot of people were doing Clubhouse and we've had massive success doing that. 
it's it's kind of a funny thing and you know your mileage may vary mm-hmm. but we kind of tend to do that we we kind of tend to be the pattern interrupts and that's what stops people in their tracks is trying to be you know a pattern interrupt that's congruent with who you are and not to just do it but like that's congruent with who you are yeah i'm trying to look up this quote right now that is relevant to this uh let's see I want to get it wrong. Mark Twain, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. Mm. I think that that, that is really, um, it's really poignant. Like if you ever find yourself like, okay, like I'm not, I'm not interested in turning this into a uh, political conversation, but I'm quite moderate of, of an individual uh, when it comes to politics. And mm-hmm. I'll put it this way. My conservative friends think that I'm uh, think that I'm liberal, and my liberal friends think that I'm conservative. Um, and and the reason why is because typically people who think the same way hang out together. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm with my more conservative friends, I'm not siding with the side of the majority because they're all talking, and they're all saying things that are feeding off of each other. And what happens when everyone in the same group thinks the same way? They start saying things that aren't true. They start saying things that aren't sound arguments. They start using a lot of straw man arguments. They start going on the extreme. And then I'm the guy who says, yeah, I, I don't think that that's true. Like I, I, I don't think that it's as simple or as black and white as you're thinking. Maybe it's this way. And then they all think that I'm, you know, a crazy liberal and then I go with my liberal friends and same thing. And then they all think that I'm a crazy conservative. But the point is, is that when you're, when you're in the side of the majority, I think it's time to reflect. I think it's time to think and say, I don't know. I don't know if that's uh, I don't, I don't know if that's the way it is. Anyway, that was a random thought. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't want to take all day with you. I don't want to take all your time. A couple other questions I want to get into that first hundred thousand dollar year in business. Yeah. If you were to look back, that, that was how many years into your business? How many years into your business was it? Two. Okay, two years. So what did you what do you know now that would have made it possible for you to hit that milestone on year one instead of on year two? <laughs> this is gonna be one. I don't think this is the answer you want, but I wasn't ready for it year one. I don't want any I want the the truth is what I want. So like if I look back on it, I was not emotionally and like capability stable enough to help people to the point where I would have been a good coach. Mm. I was still like, my family was still a mess. I was still trying to deal with daughter who was like going crazy from time to time because of her meds and everything. And, you know, still trying to deal with the step families and whatever. Mm-hmm. I would not... Had I pushed myself to try and coach that year, I would would have been a crappy coach, Mm. if I'm totally honest. Had I done the path of, you know, as soon as you know something, go out and teach it. And I was trying to do that on a smaller level um, because I had brought on kind of an event business partner who was absolutely brilliant. Her name's Wendy Bunnell. And we kind of taught each other and did things together. And had I pushed past faster than I was capable of at the moment. I don't, 
I don't think I would have built the credibility of being as good as I am. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Holy. I think I would have charged people and been a crappy coach. And instead of building a reputation on excellence and results, it would have been like, well, she wasn't always there. And it was kind of here and there. And I just, I don't think I was ready for it. So it depends on where you're at that, that second year, as we had done, you know, three events by then and started teaching other people how to do like two more. And I really got a system for it. And I was getting really quite good and confident and everything family wise was more stable. I could get out and really teach people what I knew in the beginning. It would have been a guess. It would have been like, well, this worked the first time. I mean, Mm -hmm. I could have maybe, maybe it'll work again, but I didn't have the systems of we had done this long enough and in a unique enough way that I had anything to teach at a deeper level. So I'm actually going to say I'm okay with the progress we made in the time we made it. Uh, Most people, this is a funny thing too, in our industry, it is so common for people to be like, you know, make your first hundred thousand dollars in six months or like it's the super fast expectations. And I've had people that I coach with seriously, like month two made $96,000. However, like the pre that time was different than mine. You know, they were stable. They had this huge log office. They had all of these other things that were precluding. I knew how to do it from stage. You know what I'm saying? And so it so depends on where you're at and your experience leading up to that point and your comfortability and not that you have to be comfortable. I want you to push yourself. And I believe I did at that moment, but I would have been crap. That's what I would say. I would have been crap if I had pushed myself. Cause that's the thing that brought us over was, was bringing coaching in and I just wouldn't have been good at it. I wouldn't have been able to, share something that I knew that I knew that I knew Mm. that I was positive. You were going to get results out of this. I knew the systems I had trained people, you know, we really had it down by then. And sometimes you don't start coaching in the land of, you know, no, no, but like everything else in my life that was crazy at the time, I needed to be a stable human in order to help somebody else at that level. Mm. And I think it took, getting to that point, getting to that amount of healing because hurt people hurt people. And I didn't want to try and be in that space and profess to be somebody who was healed, who was not. Mm. I think that's really powerful and, and a really important point to bring up. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for sharing what was true instead of what you thought I wanted to hear. Cause that's so important for people to hear. Um, timing matters. And I think it's really important to be patient with your timing. Everyone's timing is going to be a little bit different. So that, that's wonderful. A um, couple other questions for you just to, to wrap this up. But uh, first one is, how can people find out more about you and what you do? How can people find out about more about me? Our favorite place is our Facebook group, which is called Speaking Seriously. So basically, it's facebook.com slash groups slash speaking seriously. We talk a lot about events and getting your message out and give tons and tons of free tips and ideas there. Uh, We also started, this is the coolest thing this February. So just like last month 
started a whole college based on speaking and mentorship. It's called the Business College of Speaking and Mentorship. Mm -hmm. And you can see that on our website, which is collegeofspeaking.com. It has all kinds of interesting information about speaking and everything you need to know about what that looks like. College of Speaking and Mentorship is the college, but it's collegeofspeaking.com. Love that. That's fantastic. And uh, last thoughts, words of wisdom for members of the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches Network. Last thoughts are, I want to go back to that idea that each of you has your gifts. I really truly believe that they are God-given gifts. And the more you decide that you're going to play into that and really hone in what your gifts are and be okay with it, the more successful you're going to be and the higher level you're going to be able to help other people. Mm. So I want you to really think about that and not just the things that maybe this will make money or maybe somebody told me this could work. I want you to think about those things that really you are gifted at and just seem to have a natural knack for and really start to buy into the idea that that could be a gift from God to help you serve at a higher level. And the more you hone that gift, practice it, because even though it's a gift, uh, there are ways you can start trying to tune into that at a higher level. And the more you do that, the higher your success is going to be. And the more people you're going to help and just the vibration of everyone around you is going to raise and just be happier. And it will bring your greatest joy as well. Mm, that's wonderful. Love that. Well, Julie, thank you so much. I feel like you are my long lost sister and uh, this has been so fun. And it's been, I just want to say, uh, just want to say to you right now that uh, you know, over the last month, it's been so fun getting to know you. And I think that uh, everyone else should as well. Everyone else should find out more about, about what you do, because not only do you really know what you're talking about, but also you're able to bring a completely unique uh, angle to a market where people tend to seem quite similar. So that's something really powerful as well. But also, I just think that you are an awesome, fun person to get to know. So I think that's so awesome. So thank you so much, Julie. Well, thank you so much for having me. Like, I feel the same way. We've had so much fun getting to know each other. I'm like, how are we not friends before this? Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, everyone, thank you so much for hanging out with us. And we'll see you in the next video. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you got something great out of it. And most importantly, I hope that you found something that you can apply into your life because nothing happens until you take action. If you enjoyed this episode and you're looking to take your business to the next level, then head over to 100kchecklist.com. That's the number 100, the letter K, and the word checklist.com to get the 100K checklist and the 100K training absolutely free. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. This is Jake Valentine with Mountaintop Motivation, and I will see you at the top.